Good morning. Welcome to the church at Blue Ridge. My name is Ted, one of the pastors here. It's good to have you all with us today. And uh, if you're visiting with us, special welcome to you. And just to let everyone know where we've been and what's going on today, we finished the book of Acts last week. Uh, it took us about a year, as many of you know. And so today we're really finishing, truly finishing the Be My Witnesses sermon series with an epilogue in 2 Timothy 4. So you can go ahead and turn your Bibles to 2 Timothy 4. This passage also ties in very well with our runner's camp program ministry that we had this past week. So that was some of the logic in, in picking this great passage. And you'll see the title up on the screen, Encouragement to Run. Encouragement to Run. Now, some of you may have heard this story, but uh, 10 years ago this summer, uh, my wife's father, my father-in-law, Mike Jewell, had a health scare. He had a heart issue occur. He came through it. But we made a trip back down to the Tampa Bay area to see him, had a great visit with him. And then the day that we were leaving, I was actually in the middle of packing the car. He came to me and he handed me this letter written in his own handwriting. He said to me, Ted, I'm about to die. And I want you to give this letter to Isaac and Joel when they're old enough to read it. And he wrote this to them. The two most important things that will impact what kind of life you live They are so essential that they are more important than your education, giftedness, or your skills. They are more important than your circumstances, your successes, and yet, yes, even your appearance or your money. They are more important than what others think, say, or do. Together, they can break or make a company, organization, church, or even your home. The first is our faith in God and Jesus Christ, and the second is our attitude. The remarkable thing is we have a choice each day about how we will embrace our faith and our attitude for this day. We cannot change our past. We cannot change the inevitable. We can never change how other people will act in certain conditions. The only thing we can do is play on those two strings that we have, and that is our unquestionable faith in God, our creator, and always maintain a positive attitude no matter what happens. Of course, I argued with him. I said, no, you're going to be fine. He would die two weeks later. And I I read this, and and last time I preached this sermon, I I used this to open because it's the very same thing that Paul is doing for Timothy. He's encouraging him to continue to run his race as his race is coming to an end. And so that's that's what we're looking at today. And uh, and we'll get more into the sermon here in a moment. But as promised last week, I, I said to you, hey, you probably want to know what happened to Paul. Come back this week, because we're going to find out now. Last week, the the end of Acts chapter 8 didn't tell us what happened to Paul, because Paul wasn't the focus of Acts. The gospel is the focus of Acts, and the gospel had arrived at its destination of Rome. But today, we'll get an idea of what happened uh, to Paul. And here's a slide up on the screen. Uh, Again, this is is just all hypothesis. This is just an educated guess based on a lot of church history a lot of solid church history in the first couple hundred years. This is what we think happened uh, to Paul after Acts 28. Uh, you'll see there the first Roman imprisonment. That's Acts 28. Uh, lasted from 60 to 62. Uh, and that's when he wrote the prison epistles, which you may be familiar with. So Philippians, Ephesians, Colossians, and Philemon. And then we believe that he was released uh, around the year 63. And most scholars think he had another season of ministry another missionary journey. 
Uh, we, he wrote, probably wrote 1 Timothy and Titus during this time period. We know that he ended up in Macedonia because he went to Crete and left Titus in Crete. And, uh, and many people tell us that he went to Spain and, and had a ministry there as well. And then he was arrested a second time in Rome around the year 67. That's where we find him today. And this is when he wrote 2 Timothy, his final of his 13 epistles. And then uh, we believe he was martyred around the time of AD 68, along with the apostle Peter. So that's what happened to Paul. Now, as far as today's sermon, here's kind of the big idea of where we're going. And by the way, the entire letter of 2 Timothy can be summed up in one word, encouragement, encouragement. So we'll see that come out today, of course. Today, as we examine Paul's final words, we will receive the same encouragement that Timothy did, which was to keep running and to finish well. Let's pray again. Heavenly Father, we uh, come back before you. Thank you for the time of worship we've already had this morning, and simply just pray as we go into your word that you would uh, fill us with your spirit, open our eyes to this truth, and encourage us, just like you have uh, throughout our study in Acts, encourage us to continue to run this race and to run hard, regardless of what is in our path, and to finish well for your glory and your kingdom. Again, we love you, we thank you for this time, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so the first part of uh, this sermon, simply this, the finish line in sight. The finish line in sight for Paul. And verses 6, 7, and 8 are much like uh, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. When Jesus talked about the rock foundation and the sandy foundation, he's ending this teaching, all these great things he's taught him with several metaphors uh, so that Timothy could take it with him and, and recall these wonderful passages and lessons uh, that Paul has given him here at the end. Uh, at runner's camp this past week, uh, one of the mornings as we were getting ready, my son Isaac and I decided to take a lap around the track, quarter mile. And uh, we were kind of, uh, I, I was a little bit behind him. Now, he's a great athlete, 14 years old. But I was a little bit behind him for three quarters of the lap. And then I started to get closer and closer near the finish line, and he just took off. Right when he saw that finish line in sight, he just took off, left me in the dust, and uh, in my 40s, I was not about to, uh, to match him. And, and really, that's, that's, again, what we see here with Paul. The finish line is in sight. He knows it's come to the end for him. And so it's time to encourage his son in the ministry, uh, Timothy. And as I mentioned, these verses are full of metaphors, several of them that we'll see here. Verse 6 focuses on the present, verse 7 on the past, and verse 8 on the future. And it's just a wonderful summary of the entire letter of 2 Timothy. So let's read together verses 6 through 8 in 2 Timothy 4. Paul writes, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So the first thing we see is this drink offering. Again, this is our, our present tense verse. And he's referring to the Old Testament drink offering where you'd be sacrificing a lamb, and in, in accompaniment of that sacrifice, you take about a gallon of wine and pour the whole thing out slowly with the lamb to worship God. And so just imagine that. When Paul was converted on the road to Damascus, that gallon was full. 
Now, fast forward 30-something years to this prison cell in Rome, there's a few drops left. And, And also, what's very powerful about him saying this in the passive voice is he recognizes that the sovereign God who he loves and trusts is in full control of these circumstances, not Rome. He saw it as God who was pouring him out drop by drop until the end of his time. And then he says also in verse 6, the time of my departure has come. The word for departure literally means to untie. And it's, it was used whenever a ship would be getting underway. And you're talking about the, the boat being untied so that it could sail off. Paul's is simply saying, my ship has come to the undying lands, to eternal life. It is the end of my voyage, my journey, as I continue to get underway. Now, verse 7 is amazing. You have these, these three clauses. And scholars have criticized Paul here, saying that in verse 7, he's boasting. He's, he's bragging about his accomplishments. And, and when you read the English, it, it does seem like that. I have fought. I have finished. I have kept. And Paul's essentially saying the same thing with these three very powerful clauses. But this is why we need to go back and study the original language, or at least study those very smart people who know the original language so well. Because in the Greek, the word order is reversed here. The object is actually first. And it gives us some emphasis. It really focuses on what Paul is emphasizing. He's not emphasizing himself. He's not emphasizing his accomplishments. He's emphasizing the race and the faith. Look uh, on the on the uh, slide up here. I've went ahead and, and put it in the English in the, the word order that we have. Look how it really reads. The good fight I have fought. The race I have finished. The faith I have kept. And the faith there, he's not talking about his personal trust in Jesus, but essentially saying the same thing as the other two. I have done what was given to me. I have completed my task. And another important aspect of verse 7 here, it's in the perfect tense. So a simple past would be the imperfect, where something happened in the past and, and that was it. Something in the perfect tense also happens in the past, but it has continuing reality and significance into the future. And that's really important here because Paul's telling us, you know, the race isn't over, just simply my part in the race is over. The, the race is continuing. And that's intentional for Timothy because, again, God's mission isn't over at this point. It's just getting started. But Paul's leg in the race, his, his part is over. Think of uh, an honorable discharge in the military. When, when you're honorably discharged, the point of it isn't that you're honorable. It's just simply saying that your uh, agreed-upon time of four years has come to an end. But the military's mission continues. You're just getting off here. And that's really what Paul is saying in verse 7 in this very passive. And he's saying it really to tell Timothy, son, it's your turn now. It's your turn now. This is definitely a baton moment if you think about uh, the relay, the relay race. So continuing here, verse 8, this is the future part. You see the word henceforth, at least in my translation. Uh, That's not a word we use every day unless you're doing Shakespeare in the park. Uh, And what henceforth means, really it's a combination of because of and the future. So you're taking because of and the future. So because of this now into the future, that's how he starts things off. So because of this, and look what he talks about here. Imagine a runner finishing the race, coming in first place, and then the judge of the race has the crown for that runner. 
The word crown here is not diadem. It's not the crown of a king. It's a laurel wreath. You may have seen pictures of, of Romans with their, their sheets on and that little uh, laurel wreath on their heads. That's the idea here. A runner is victorious. He now has that crown. Of course, Paul's using this metaphor to point us to the future, point us to what is the future for him now at the end of his Christian run, also what is the future for each and every one of us who love and are known by Jesus Christ. Look at this, the crown of righteousness, the righteous judge. A lot of theology here. If you just think in terms of righteousness, it's, it's what we do not have from birth. No human being has righteousness. And yet, in order to get to heaven, to be in God's presence, you have to be righteous. That's a serious problem. We're all born unrighteous, and yet we need righteousness. How do we get it? The gospel. That was the point of it. That the God-man would come and die in our place, and through faith in the gospel, he gives us that righteousness. Martin Luther called it, my favorite description, he called it, Alien righteousness. Alien righteousness. Outside of us that comes. A righteousness of Christ that becomes our own. And because there's a righteous crown, because it's a righteous judge, that tells us this race is a righteous race. It tells us the runners on it are also righteous. This race is only a race that Christians are on. And look what he says. He will award him on that day. The day of the Lord, a very common theme in the Old New Testament. That is the end of time. That is when God comes back. And those who loved his appearing, all of us who are in Christ, will receive that crown. This isn't talking about a special award that Paul is getting because he was an apostle or he did such amazing things, which we have seen through the book of Acts. This is the same crown that everyone who is in Christ receives to be with Jesus, eternal life with Christ. And he tells us that at the very end of verse 8, to all who have loved his appearing, who look forward to it. I don't know about you, but um, when I was a kid, I, I didn't like it too much when my dad got home. And the jingle of keys at the door, I mean, it was dad. And we, didn't, we weren't allowed to use the front door, so only he could use the front door. We had to do the side door. But that jingle of keys. And the reason I didn't look forward to him coming is because I was up to no good. I was typically not obeying or behaving as I should. Or maybe I got in trouble at school and, you know, the wait till your father gets home uh, type thing was happening. I didn't look forward to his return. But if I had happened to do something to make him proud or obey Uh, something he had given me, then of course I'm going to be excited that he's home so I can go tell him all that I did, that I did what he asked, I completed the list, whatever it might be. And that's the idea here. This is an indicative quality for anyone who is in Christ to be excited when the Lord Jesus Christ comes back. But for those who are not, you should rightfully be scared to death. For us, grace. For you, judgment. Wrath. Remember last week we talked about playing chicken with God? Any person who is not in Christ is really on the train tracks running in the direction of the locomotive that's coming. And of course, who would look forward to that? But for us in Christ, we love his appearing. Look what James writes in uh, chapter 1. We just got done going through James earlier this spring in our cell groups. 
Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. What a great encouragement. Again, Paul's telling Timothy the same thing here. Now, a few application points. First thing I want to make clear is this was Paul's part in the race. Don't measure yourself with Paul. I think we we make that mistake as Christians. We'll see these great heroes in the scriptures or even some great hero of church history or even John Piper today, and we might say, man, I want to be like him. That's their, their course. That's what God gave them. Find what God's given each of you. Find the race or the lap or the leg of the race, however you want to look at it, that he's specifically given to you based on his calling, based on his gift, the giftedness that he's given you, your experiences. And, and as a church, that's part of our role. We're here to help with that. Whether it be missional community groups, whether it be in your cell groups, whether it be coming to talk to Robert or myself, we're here to help you identify. Don't measure yourself to others. Just find what God's given you to do and then run after it and run hard and do it for the glory of God. Regardless of whether you're the toe or the arm, or the hand, or the leg, whatever part God's given you, do it. Don't measure yourself to what others have done. The second thing is, I just want to, you know, I think we're talking about death here. Um, New Testament says some pretty encouraging things about death for the Christian. Not for everyone, but for the true follower of Jesus Christ. And I've put them on a slide here for you. You'll see them behind me. I, I love these descriptions. To, to die means we'll, we will be with Christ. We will be home with the Lord. Describes it as gain, true gain. Far better. First Thessalonians describes it as falling asleep. Paradise, Jesus uh, told the, the, the crook on the cross. And then he also told his disciples a mansion, a mansion with many rooms. By the way, not many mansions. That's a bad translation. One mansion with many rooms. Rooms. What a beautiful description. That's the hope we have. Yeah, no one's looking forward to it, but look how the New Testament describes it for us who are in Christ. Now, it would be irresponsible for me to paint such a pretty picture of death and not uh, acknowledge the reality of, of suicide, because there may be some in here who aren't believers who struggle with that. So I don't want you to think, hey, this is a great way out. Uh, this is what it is for those of us who are truly born again. But it's, it's a horrible thing for anyone who is not saved. So don't be tempted by suicide if that might be something that you are. And please come and talk to us. There is so much hope to be had in this life and in Christ. We'd love to share with you uh, if that's something you're struggling with. So we've seen this first part, and that's what I originally had planned just to preach. And some of you are like, why would you change your mind? Just stop right now. But I, I want to look at three more verses really quickly, and I call this the final lap. Because wouldn't it be great if we had a few details from Paul's life during this second imprisonment? And we do. It's in verses 16 to 18. So we're going to skip a few verses. We're going to pick up in verse 16 and, uh, and look at a few things real quickly, and then we'll, we will be done. Look how he describes a few things going on in this second imprisonment and in this new series of trials that he is facing. He says in verse 16, At my first defense, no one came to stand by me. But all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. 
Though I was rescued from the lion's mouth, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So, again, great details here. I think it's neat to see that, especially as we're talking about Paul's life coming to an end. Uh, this first defense is called, was called in Latin the prima actio. So think in terms of a grand jury hearing. It's the same thing. It's an initial hearing. Uh, the judge could have sentenced the individual at this time, but typically they wanted to do some investigation and then have a second follow-up uh, court case to then sentence the individual. So that's apparently what's happened to Paul. The first defense has already happened, and now there's going to be some time before the second defense that will come inevitably in the future. But look how he describes that first defense. Uh, nobody came to stand with him. Now, Luke and Tychicus were with Paul, so he wasn't completely alone. So I think what he's referring to aren't his Christian brothers, but he's referring to the, the aristocrats that he had come to know that lived or worked in the Roman government. Maybe they were in Caesar's household. We saw some of those influential uh, upper-class type uh, individuals in the Roman government come to his aid, if you remember the riot at Ephesus. They came and kind of helped him out. But those individuals now aren't coming anymore. Uh, to, to be on Paul's side is not beneficial for their careers, so they've all essentially abandoned him. But look who was with him. But the Lord stood by me. Uh, I've said the quote a couple times since we've been studying Acts. I can't remember who, who said it. I picked it up somewhere, and it's amazing. Uh, one Christian and God are always in the majority. Even if you and I find ourselves alone as far as humans go, we are never alone. One Christian and God are always in the majority, and the Lord stood with him. Look what the Lord did. He strengthened him. Not only did he stand by him, but he strengthened him. And look at the results of that strengthening. Paul apparently got to preach the gospel during that first trial. He says, so that the message might be fully proclaimed to all the Gentiles. So there he is in a much harsher arrest, a much harsher imprisonment. And even though he's no doubt struggling physically in that defense, his life is on the line this time. He preaches the gospel to all these upper class, high up people, the the judges, whoever it was in the courtroom that day. And apparently He also was delivered from death at that point. That's what he means here when he says, I was rescued from the lion's mouth. Uh, Some people debate whether this is literally the lions, you know, being thrown to the lions. Probably not. It's probably, uh, again, figurative language. He's simply saying that I was delivered from immediate death uh, at this first trial, okay? But if you see verse 18, it's it's just temporary. He knows he's going to die. We've already seen that. So when this second trial comes, uh, He will most likely be killed, we would say martyred. Look what he says in verse 18 about that, though. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed, from what's coming, and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. And like Paul does so many times, that great doxology. Think about this. He's writing this letter knowing he's about to die, but his focus is so much on God. To God be the glory. What an example of God-centeredness and vertical orientation in the midst of the worst horizontal circumstances one could imagine. And and again, we've seen this so much in Acts. Paul, I think, writes about it in every one of his letters. And here at the end of this great letter, to God be 
to glory. He ends with a declaration of praise and worship. What a great example we have in Paul. Now, the question you might have as we come to the end of today's sermon is, well, how do I run? How do I run this race? What are some things I can take home from here? And Paul actually gives those to us, but he, he gave them to us early. If you go back to verse 4, 5, he, he situates this verse perfectly as application for Timothy based on what he taught in verses 1 through 4 literally and for what we've looked at here figuratively. Look at verse 4, 5, four, five uh, what he writes there. As for you, Timothy, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering to the... Do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. And I put it on a, on a slide up here, too, to see. This is how we fulfill our ministry. Every one of us. This isn't just for pastors or apostle associates like Timothy. This is for every one of us who call upon the name of the Lord. Be sober-minded. Uh, you see those T-shirts and coffee cups everywhere. Stay calm or keep calm. That's basically what he's saying by sober-minded. Keep calm. Relax. Don't become so emotionally distraught, either you know, the anxiety or the depression or whatever. Stay calm, trust the Lord, and keep moving forward. Second, endure suffering. All right, suffering and the Christian life go together. They go to, it's a reality. I think we're insulated still here in America, but this is an exception in the last 2,000 years of history and even in several parts of the world today. Suffering will come. Just endure it. Go through it. Don't run from it. Don't take the path of least resistance Go through the suffering and see what God will do for you and for his own glory. Finally, do the work of an evangelist. And isn't it, didn't we just see that with Paul on trial and he's still thinking about others? He's still preaching the gospel even at the darkest times of his life. Never stop doing the work of an evangelist. And so finally, in conclusion to this great, uh, this great passage, I almost said great sermon, great passage, two things. One for the lost and the other for the church. If you're not in Christ, and I know some of you in here are not, I know that. If you are not in Christ, you're not in this race. You're on another course. Really, you think of shoots and ladders. You're on a slide and you're heading down. Uh, in fact, if you want to go the ladder route, we could say this. You're, you're going to get to the top of that wall and, and realize that you had your ladder on the wrong wall. And at that point, it's too late. At that point, it's too late. What is salvation? Salvation is when when God in his grace calls us out of darkness and into light. He begins to open our eyes to the truth. And the call for us is to turn from our sin 180 degrees. And whatever it is that we're worshiping, typically we are at the center of that worship. And turning and putting our faith in Christ, not looking back and following him in faith. And he rescues us. He justifies us. He puts his spirit in us, and he gives us the forgiveness of sins and so much more. That's salvation. Here's a great passage. Again, we're tying up Acts in a way. This came from Acts 10. Uh, Peter is preaching the gospel to the Gentiles in Cornelius' house. Look how he shares the gospel here. He writes this, And he, that's Jesus, he commanded us to preach to the people, and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to judge the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets of the Old Testament bears witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name and his name only. So, again, I'll, I'll give an invitation in a moment, but that's, 
for you if you're not in Christ. For those of us who are, for, for the church, for most people in this room, be encouraged. That's the whole point of this. Be encouraged. I know the race is hard. I'm running it too. Uh, be encouraged. Keep running and know this. You're not alone in this race. We have people on each side running with you. So let us know if you're struggling. Uh, share with us things that we can do to help encourage you or pray for you or come alongside you in your battle against sin and, and against this world. But be encouraged. Second, just think of uh, the relay, right? This is a relay race. That's what Paul's doing here. Paul's getting to the end. He's saying, here's the baton. I've ran mine as fast as I can. You take it from here. This is a relay race. It's a great way to look. Uh, of course, we did that at runner's camp this week. It was awesome. I wish I could have watched it more. But, man, what a great illustration for us. And uh, just to look at one last passage, and then we'll be through. You know Hebrews? I love Hebrews, and I love chapter 11. That's what we call the hall of faith, where the writer of Hebrews is going through all these Old Testament heroes, showing us their leg of the race and how they trusted and they ran. They trusted and they ran. I personally believe Hebrews was written by either Apollos or Aquila and Priscilla uh, to a church in Rome right after Peter and Paul were killed to encourage them as persecution is getting pretty heavy. That's my personal view. And in one of the, the saddest verses in chapter 11 is when he gets to the point where he stops telling about all these heroes and he says, well, time would fail me to keep going and, and tell you about it even more. I'm like, no, keep going, keep writing. And I think he would have eventually gotten to the apostles and Peter and Paul. But then look what he writes right after Hebrews 11. Therefore, because of this great hall of, of believers who have gone before us and all these men and women who have run their legs, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, victorious runners, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Let's keep running. Let's keep running this race. And like I said, this is about a baton. This is about a baton. And, and Paul is simply reaching out to Timothy and every single one of us and saying, and keep running the race. I'm going to go ahead and invite the, the worship team back up as we're going to continue worshiping. I think we have one more song to sing. And again, if you're a believer, this is a chance to respond to what God has shown you, what God has taught you, how God has encouraged you through his word. Now give it right back to him in song. If you're not sure where you're at with Christ or you know you're lost, we want to have that conversation with you. We want to make ourselves available to go deep with you in your life. So track one of us down either today or through the course of the week. We want to share Christ with you. The invitation is always open. Let's pray one last time. Lord, again, we thank you so much for Paul and all the apostles and every man, woman, and child who has run their course faithfully from uh, that time till today. Let, put such an impression upon our hearts as believers to see this life as the race that you have put us on for your glory, for your great commission, for your gospel. Lord, we have jobs, we have families, we have different commitments. It's so easily to relegate Christianity to this compartment that we get out on Sunday, maybe Wednesday. Father, let break that, destroy that. And show us that all those things I just mentioned fit into your plan, your will, the race that you have us to run. 
Help us to organize our lives in terms of your priority for what you have called us to do and help get us running, Lord God, and running hard for your glory and your kingdom. And as always, Lord, if there's anyone in here, and I'm sure there is, who doesn't know you, continue to work to bring them to faith and repentance. Plant the gospel seeds on good soil. Water those seeds and bring about a harvest for your glory. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.